Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life He gives. Today we're going to begin our new sermon series, our Lenten sermon series called Christ in the Wilderness. And Lent officially began this past Wednesday on Ash Wednesday. And Lent continues for 40 days all the way to Easter, not including Sundays. Sundays are bonus days. They're celebration days. And these 40 days of Lent are meant to mirror two things. They're meant to mirror Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days before beginning his public ministry. And they also mirror, which we've talked about this morning already, the 40-year wilderness journey that the Israelites had after leaving Egypt when they were in bondage. They left Egypt and they were on to the promised land. And so there's a 40-year span of time where they wandered the wilderness during that time. And so Lent is a season on the church calendar where we get the opportunity to, to set aside 40 days to enter into our own wilderness. Um, I, I grew up as a kid in the Roman Catholic Church. Are there any former Catholics in the room? Just a couple. I was an altar boy, and so I was very involved in, in, in the church and the, the reason I chose to be an altar boy is because there was a back room behind like, the, the sanctuary that nobody got to see, and I was curious as a kid and wanted, what's back there? And so I signed up to be an altar boy and served um, as an altar boy for a while. And, and, and I didn't really understand Lent, um, but w- one of the things that I do remember about Lent is on Ash Wednesday, I would get some ashes put on my forehead, and I knew I wasn't supposed to eat meat on Fridays, and I had to say the rosary, to pray the rosary. And when I was 13 years old, my dad became a Christian. It radically changed his life, completely transformed his life, like a complete 180. And he took me and my brother to this church that he went to. It was this little, small, non-denominational, charismatic church. And they didn't practice Lent at all. So I was like, wow, I, don't have, I can eat meat now. <laughs> I don't have to pray the rosary and no more ashes on my forehead, I, this is different. Um, and several years ago, I started to observe some parts of Lent in a new way. And so my relationship with Lent is all over the place. <laughs> Growing up Roman Catholic and then being part of a, ch- a church that didn't observe any um, of the practice of Lent, and now in a place in my life where I'm, I'm doing that in a new way. And what I appreciate most about Lent is how it reorients my heart toward God. Lent is known as a season of repentance where we're preparing ourselves, we're preparing our hearts for Easter, for Christ's resurrection, for celebration. But it's a time when we intentionally adjust our lives to the reality that God's kingdom has come near to us through Jesus. And I know our whole Christian life and our whole Christian journey is one of adjusting our lives to the reality of God's kingdom coming near to us through Jesus. But Lent, um, Lent is a season where we're hyper-focused on taking up our cross, denying ourselves, following Jesus. And so over the next six Sundays leading up to Easter, we'll be camping in the book of Exodus. And we're going to be following Moses and the Hebrew people as they journey 
through the wilderness from being freed in Egypt to the promised land. And we're going to primarily focus on several specific objects that come up in their journey. And these objects prophetically point to Jesus. See, the, the, the Old Testament is, is chock full of stories and prophecies and poems and images and analogies and objects that, that point to Jesus. And in fact, the Old Testament, the entirety of the Old Testament points us to Jesus. Uh, theologian Chad Bird, in his book, The Christ Key, says that when we read the Old Testament, every part of the Old Testament, we should say the prayer, show me Jesus, because it all points to him. And so our, our primary aim for this Lenten sermon series is going to be twofold. One, to look at the Exodus journey, the wandering in the wilderness, the 40 years that Moses and the Hebrews journeyed in the wilderness, and to see where we can find Jesus. That's the first part of this sermon series, the first aim. The second one is for us to consider how we might see Jesus in our own wilderness experience. So those are the two things that we're going to, to aim to do in this sermon series. And I'm going to invite John Ayers up, and he's going to read our passage for us today from the book of Exodus in chapter 15. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they come, came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Then he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. Thanks, John. And so the passage we just read takes place just three days after the crossing of the Red Sea. You know the story, right? God miraculously delivers the Hebrew people from Egyptian bondage, and they're, they're leaving, right? But Pharaoh changes his mind and chases them into the desert to try to recapture them, and God miraculously parts the waters of the Red Sea, and Moses leads the Hebrew people across on dry land. The waters close on their captors, and their past life is, is buried in this water grave. And they're excited about being free. They're excited about this new life with God. And so we, we read after they cross the Red Sea that there's all this celebration that takes place. There's songs and there's praise as they look forward to, to their new life with God. But their celebration is short-lived. In fact, we're told it lasts three days. 
because they hadn't found any water yet. And I think this is a fitting picture for our life when we start a life with God, when we begin our Christian journey, this is a fitting picture for that. Because their very first experience after being saved is one of disappointment. Right? You know, oftentimes we start our, our faith where we put our trust in Jesus and we start our, our, our new life with God and we think that everything from here on out is just going to be great. Right? After all, God is with us. He, he's, he's saved us, he delivered us, he's leading us into new things, good things. It's going to be smooth sailing from here. God's going to solve all our problems, he's going to take away all of our troubles. But what we soon discover after starting our journey with, with Jesus and, and our new life with God is that things don't always get easier, right? In fact, sometimes, in some ways, it, it gets harder, to follow God, which I think is something that we probably should have figured out beforehand. The central icon of our faith is a crucifix. That was the first clue, and we missed it. <laughs> right? we, we, we saw the bumper sticker, try Jesus, and everything. we thought, this is going to be awesome. Everything's going to be great from here. And then three days into our journey, or however long it takes for us, we come into disappointment. Like, well, wait a second. This isn't what I, this is harder than I thought. This is not what I signed up for. What happened to God miraculously parting the waters? Why are we without? Why are we in a dry and weary land where there's no water? And what happens is our disappointment usually turns into disillusionment. And that happens here for them in Exodus 15 because after having no water for three days and being disappointed, they come to some water finally but it's bitter. They can't drink it. It's undrinkable. Right? It's like, like they're being teased. <laughs> like they're be the, the water that they found is mocking them. Because <laughs> for three days, they didn't find water, and they finally find water. Like, oh, God, look, you, you provided for it. No, wait, it's bitter. What's up? <laughs> and they get their hopes up only to have them dashed to pieces. And so now they're not just disappointed, but they're starting to get angry, and they're complaining to Moses. Like, what have you got us into? There's a, another part in Exodus where they say to him, did you just lead us out here for us to die? And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 25, after the people are complaining and grumbling to Moses, Moses um, turns to God in prayer. <laughs> yeah, I, I love reading about Moses because we, when we think about like spiritual leaders, we think, oh, they know, they have everything figured out. That's why they're the leader. Moses didn't have, a, he was trying to figure this out just like them. <laughs> he was probably just as disappointed. Like, wait a second, God, you, you told me to lead these people out. And now we have nothing to drink. And there's this well of water and, it, and it's bitter. We can't drink it. Now they're angry. What am I supposed to tell them? And it, and it drives him to cry out to the Lord in prayer. And it says this in verse 25. So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. So here, here we are when God's people come to these bitter waters of Mara, They're experiencing deep disillusionment, disappointment. 
They're, they're, they've been traveling in this dry desert, wondering where God is, grumbling and complaining against Moses, and it, we're told that God shows Moses a tree. And it's here where we come to the object in this wilderness story that, that points to Jesus. And as an act of faith, Moses takes a part of the tree and he drops it into this undrinkable water. And the moment the tree touches the water, the waters are healed of their bitterness. And they're made sweet. And, and the people are saved, right? They're, they're right on the edge of dying of thirst. And now they're rescued. They're saved. And, and you might be wondering, how in the world does this point to Jesus? Well, let me ask you this question. Where in the New Testament do we read about a tree that brings healing and salvation? Right? Acts chapter 5, verse 30 says this, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now, now some of our Bible translations won't use the word tree here. They'll, they'll use the word cross because the Greek word for tree can also be translated as into wood or cross. And so some, depending on what translation you read will determine what wo English word is chosen there. But let's keep reading. Here's another verse in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Then 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. See, it's, it's no coincidence that God showed Moses a tree. And he uses it to, to heal these people bitter waters. It, it's a redemptive symbol of what Jesus was one day going to come to do. That it, it's, a, it's a symbol that's pointing ahead to the cross, to the tree that, that takes away our bitterness. And so now that we, we see Jesus in this story, in this wilderness journey, how does it speak to our own wilderness experience? I want to submit to you three ways, spend the rest of our time this morning, I'm going to submit three ways to you that this story helps us find healing in our own bitterness. And the first one is this. This story helps us find healing in our bitterness because it reminds us that Jesus is the only one who can heal the bitterness of our sin. In the, in the first few chapters of your Bible, the book of Genesis, the first couple chapters, what we find is there's two trees in a garden, the Garden of Eden. And they're in the very center of the garden. It's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? And when Adam and Eve choose to reject God's shalom, when they choose to reject the, the life that God had for them to eat from the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we're told that all of creation is thrown into chaos and our world becomes broken and, and sin-torn. And, and life without God starts to taste bitter. Which is why Jesus, when he comes to rescue us, he comes to another tree, the cross, right? To reverse the curse, to, to set things right again, to heal the bitterness of our sin, and allowing us to drink deeply and freely of his living waters. There's an old Eastern Orthodox hymn 
that has this lyric in it. We died through a tree, but have found a tree of life in Thee, O cross of Christ. See, what that's essentially saying is, is Jesus is the one who heals the bitterness of our sin. The second way that this story helps us find healing for our bitterness is it lets us know that the, the bitterness of living in a broken, sin-torn world doesn't get the last word. Jesus gets it. Some of the bitterness in our lives isn't the result of our own personal sin, but the result of living in a broken and bitter world, right? How many of you saw the news this week of the shooting at the parade, the Super Bowl parade in Kansas City, right, where 21 people were, were shot, one was killed, half of them were children that were wounded. And I don't know about you, but whenever I hear stories like that that are just unjust, it leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. And, and, and the bitter, broken world we live in, the sin-torn world that we live in, sometimes there's these ripple effects that, that, that go like this. It, it, and we all feel it, right? Because injustice is bitter. But this story in Exodus 15, it lets us know that we won't always have to drink of the bitter waters of Marah. That Jesus is, is going to finish what he started. That he's the one who, who's going to heal this bitter, broken, sin-torn world. And when heaven merges with earth, we read about this in, in the book of Revelation, when heaven merges with earth, right, and all things are made right, there's no more tear, no more sickness, no more death. Because Jesus is finishing the redemptive work that he started on the cross. Revelation chapter 22 is the last chapter in our Bible. Verse 1 says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. Jesus is going to finish what he started. Right? So the bitterness of, of living in a broken, sin-torn world doesn't get the last word. Jesus does. The third and final way I think this story helps us find healing for our bitterness is it assures us that Jesus can help us move on from the bitterness we hold in our hearts toward others. See, there's, there's three kinds of bitterness that I'm tackling today. The first one is the bitterness of our own sin. Only Jesus can heal that. The second one is the bitterness of living in a broken, sin-torn world. It, it, it's, we're a part of it. We feel it. We taste it. And the third one is the bitterness that we harbor in our hearts toward others. And this story shows us that Jesus can help us move on from that bitterness. See, holding, holding on to bitterness prevents us from moving on. It prevents us from moving forward into the, the new future God has for us because bitterness requires us to live in the past, right? Have you ever been bitter towards someone? You're harboring bitterness in your heart. What does it make you do? It makes you stay stuck in that moment. And whenever you see that person, whenever you think about that person, where are you? You're right back there. 
And when we, we harbor bitterness in our hearts, when we choose to harbor bitterness, we're choosing to surrender the new future that God has for us. Which is why the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the book of Ephesus in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, he, he implores us, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And see, what we find in the book of Exodus chapter 15, after God heals these bitter waters with the tree, that God's people are able to move away from Mara. They're able to move past Mara, to leave their bitterness behind. And they end up, we're told, they end up, their next stop, they end up at a place called Elam. And Exodus 15 tells us that Elam had 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. The, the word Elam means strong trees. And so they're able to move from bitterness to a place of strength, right? To something new, something fresh. And when we harbor bitterness in our hearts, what we're choosing to do is to stay camping at Mara. And Jesus wants to come along and, and heal those bitter waters and move us from Mara to Elam, to that new place. And so in, in closing, I want to uh, move our attention to this table. We're going to engage this in a moment. I just want to explain a little bit about what this is. We have some water. These are, this is fresh water, but I'm going to, to make it unfresh because I have all this salt. And... I'm going to sprinkle this in here. And I'm hoping most of the salt will dissolve. And you might not be able to see it, but it's there. You don't want to drink this. It will leave a taste. <laughs> but when I'm putting this salt in the water, um, something that's happening is that water is going to absorb the salt. It's going it's to change characteristics of this water, right? Because now this water is salty. Whereas before you might drink it, it would be fresh, it would be, be refreshing and taste. Now if you were to drink it, not so much. And you might not even be able to see the effect, but there is a, a big effect by me putting that salt in the water. And, and, and it represents bitterness. Because this is, what, this, is, this is what bitterness does to us. We absorb it. And it changes who we are, right? Whether it's the bitterness of our sin, the bitterness of a broken world, the bitterness we harbor in our hearts towards others, we absorb it. And you might not see it, but it's there. You can taste it, right? It's, it's taking effect. It's changing the properties of this water. and It changes the properties of our soul. Now, I want, want you to take the little wooden cross that was handed to you uh, before the kids went to kids' church. I want you to just hold that in your hand. And I want you to think of something in your life that tastes bitter. Maybe it's the bitterness of your own sin. Maybe there's some the sin in your life you just need to repent of. You need Jesus to heal it, forgive it, cleanse it. Maybe that's the bitterness that you're thinking of now. Maybe it's some bitter circumstances that you're facing that are out of your control. Perhaps it's, it's the fatigue of just living in a bitter, broken, sin-torn world. And that bitterness is just absorbed into your life. 
into your heart. You become callous and bitter, wondering if God's ever going to finish redeeming all of creation. Or maybe you're harboring some bitterness towards someone in your heart and, and you're stuck at Mara. You want to get to Elam, you don't know how. And you need Jesus to come to help you move on from that bitterness. To give you the courage to forgive. I'm going to pray for us. And the worship band's going to come up and we're going to play a song and, and, and sing together. What I'm going to invite you to do when the music starts to play, after I'm done my prayer, I'm going to invite you to come up around this table with your cross in hand, and, and just take your time and stand at the table and whatever bitterness you need Jesus to touch. Again, it could be the bitterness of your sin, the bitterness of just a broken world, the bitterness you're harboring in your heart, bitter circumstances, wh whatever it is, as a physical act of prayer, it's an act of faith, right? It's a prayer. Stand up here, pray, pray to Jesus and ask him for help. And then, as a physical act of prayer, just drop that into one of these jars of water. And just like Moses dropped the tree into the bitter waters of Mara and it made them sweet again, this is a physical act of faith, right? To say, God, I need you. You're the only one who can bring sweetness to my life again. Because th th there's bitterness everywhere. And again, take your time doing this. We have a, a whole song to do this. You can work your way around the whole table. And then when you're finished, go back to your seat and Jordan will come up and, and give us a benediction and send us off. Okay, can I pray for us? Can I invite you all to stand while I pray? Mm. Heavenly Father, we confess that um, we're broken. That we're in need of a divine physician, a healer. Just like we read about these waters that are bitter, Lord, we are bitter. We're bitter from our own sin. We're bitter from just living and experiencing brokenness in a sin-torn world. We're, we're bitter from circumstances that are happening. They're outside of our control to us. We hold bitterness in our hearts towards others. Lord, we thank you that you are such a loving God that you refuse to leave us at Mara. And Jesus, you came to, to heal our bitterness. That through the cross set us free to bring us to Elam, a place of refreshing, a place of, of, of strength, into the promises that you have for us. God, I pray for the courage and the faith we need even today to respond to Exodus 15. As we hold the cross in our hands, Lord, that we would remember what you did for us, Jesus how you set us free from bondage, how you delivered us, how you called us into something new, new life with you. And at times, it it's, can be disappointing and disillusioning, discouraging. But Jesus, you always have a way of showing up and bringing healing and, and hope. And we ask that you would do that today for us. So we come forward as an act of prayer, an act of faith, and, and place this the tree in these, these waters. We pray, Lord, that you would heal our bitterness. Lord, there's nothing that we can do on our own. We, we need your help, Jesus. So come and meet us here today on this first Sunday of Lent. 
We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.